Welcome back to Stephen George's Lounge. Uh, that's not the name of the podcast, but it is for this episode. Uh, and you're cuddled up on the sofa with me, Stephen Hussey, and Mr. George Taylor. Hello, right. Fred. Uh, what's going on, George? How are you? I'm very well, Steve. Um, you're really cozying up to that mic, mate. It's like, it's like you're making sweet, sweet love to it. <laughs> Get yourself back. Oh, I'll pack a bit. Yeah, lovely. Um, I'm, I'm very well. Uh, in a in a fairly overcast, and it was actually snowing slightly earlier, Copenhagen. But that's that's what you get when you're up in the the grim north, I suppose. Well, it's nice and drizzly here today in England, uh, so our heat wave is officially over for now. <laughs> um, and what better thing to do on a drizzly day, George, than cozy into a movie? Um, we ended on the cliffhanger last time that I was uh, <laughs> going, going to see the Avengers. Um, I've not been able to get anything done, Steve. I've just been waiting for this feedback. Yeah. Very fitting as well, since the first Avengers left on a very big cliffhanger, the Infinity War. So, um, yeah, I went to see what it seems like half the world went to see this week, which was uh, Marvel uh, Avengers Endgame. Half the world and half this podcast. Half this podcast, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so some brief thoughts. Um, I thought as someone who has been following, you know, is a follower of comic book movies and superheroes anyway, and has followed these particular Marvel films for the last decade or so, uh, I thought this was a really satisfying, really emotionally satisfying conclusion on a character and story level to this grand saga um, that Marvel have built and um yeah it's um you know it, i'm not going to give any plot elements away because i'm aware of how fraught this whole spoiler territory is um so i'll keep it kind of clear clear here um but uh yeah it was um it was epic on a grand scale you could see that money up on the screen uh, the hundreds of millions they spent on it um it was a it was a film that was you know it completely gave the fans what they wanted in spades in terms of giving you know this huge veritable cast of characters a huge amount of closure a lot of stories arcs finishing you know things they'd set up from the very beginning there was lots of fan service satisfaction and uh, you know you could feel like if you'd invested a lot of time in these stories, you would feel like you got your payoff, you know? And I think that's, that's a big positive for it. I think um, it had, it's not as good a film as the first, the, the two-parter that is Infinity War and Endgame. I think most people would agree Infinity War was probably Marvel's standout film, really. I think right. it was just so impactful it had such a epic ending that left everyone sort of on the edge of their seat waiting for the next one. And it was, uh, had this really compelling villain with Thanos. I think the second one was almost the weight of the last 10 years needed to be paid off and closing a lot of loops. So sometimes like the first hour or so, like it's a long film. It's a, it's a long film for a, essentially a comic book movie. So the first hour is a lot of like, deep setup and you know where are we with these characters and do they do call back is it a bit like you know uh calling back to the previous film almost is what you missed or do they treat it as if you're completely up to speed with what's been going on uh they do, actually no they kind of throw you in a lot in the deep end and i, I think just, they've gone they've trained audiences so much to be like you've been following you know, it's almost like a soap opera now. It's like, if you've been tuning in each week, you know what's happening mm. and, you know, you know what just happened. And, and the sort of end of the last one was such a cultural event with the Thanos snapping his fingers and all this that everyone sort of knew where they were. But um, it's a... Uh, so at times you do feel that in some ways it, this film is having to carry the weight of so much investment in it. So I try and think like as a standalone film, if someone went to watch it, they might feel like, okay, not many people who have never seen a Marvel film are going to go watch this film, but it's just as a standalone film, you might feel like, wow, it's taking a while to get into this. Like right. it's taking its time, sweet time. But 
you know, I think it's more a film made for people who have been in, into the whole universe, um, into the whole Marvel universe for so long. But, but yeah, it was, um, I think just big, big satisfaction by the end was my main feeling I felt was, uh, that it just really, you know, there's thing, there's little niggles I think where I think like plot, a couple of plot points. One 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 bit is a bit hokey where something something at the beginning is just figured out very quickly and it's like okay that that happened overnight fine we're gonna just accept that and there's there's bits like that but in terms of character payoff you get and story payoff you just get that in spades and you get like you know you get everything you could have wanted. Uh, one thing I was quite light on action for a big superhero film. Um, quite light on compared to the first one had action all over the place and fighting all the time. This one actually has less of that and kind of almost builds it for the, the third act um, and does a lot of story in the, on the, on the front end. So yeah. Um, Did it feel like it um, wrapped it up? It wasn't teasing more films. I know there are going to be more Marvel films coming, but it felt like a, a total final piece. Did it? Yeah, it, it felt like it felt like like any end of great a great comic book arc. It felt like oh, here seems to be the next stories being potentially lined up for where the next adventures are. But it kind of closed this entire this whole saga with the Infinity Stones and Thanos that everyone invests in. It's like there's closure to that story, right? Okay. Um, so um, yeah, it was. Uh, yeah, but I do, I do, I think as a two-parter, the two films do work really well together. But they are, they are almost, they're very different. And I think the first one, the first one, like it's an epic double build together. I think the first one has more pure joy though, the whole way in it. Like it's pure. The first one's almost pure distilled entertainment, whereas I think the second one is more. It, yeah, again, I think it's feeling it's it's weighty because it's got closed so much. That yeah, people, like, I mean, that people want the closure on what ha- what's going to happen with Captain America, what's going to happen with Iron Man, what's going to happen with Doctor Strange. You know, just all these people, and it's like you know, people just want closure on every character. I wouldn't want to go into detail on it because it's another like huge topic, but I guess it's the same baggage that is happening with Game of Thrones, right? We're we're in the middle of the final season of it. I've got the baggage of what seven and a half, eight previous seasons and all these invested characters and arcs that, you know, as you run out of time and you have to tie all these threads together, it, it, yeah, it comes with a weight that isn't the same as let's just show you some amazing cinematography and stuff happening. We have we have a job of work to tie these strands together. So the last pieces are always going to be, yeah, a different a different game than the middle. Yeah, the end, the end game literally is a completely different beast for a writer, right? Than the middle sections and the yeah, and you have to have all these. You have to have all these. Like, I want these two characters to have a final moment together. I want to see, you know, uh, their relationship. Like, how does it? What's the final part of that? And so there's so many mixed relationships. Like, oh, the friendship between Iron Man and Captain America, and this person, the the romantic relationship. So and those so characters many- are so like. Uh, <laughs> owned by the audience now right like the, the writers are almost just they are they are delivering something for the audience rather than just telling their story it's they have so many people to make happy and so many different like invested factions that have kind of yeah put these things out in the world and they have to sign them out perfectly for all the people invested and that must just become such a demanding task to keep the many many millions of people invested in these stories over such a yeah. long time right like if you've been following a plot either through what you say about 18 20 marvel films or six yeah yeah like 22 there's a lot of hours of lives spent on them so i guess people do they are to a degree entitled to their their sort of yeah two pennies worth on the the way it pans out but um it's an interesting time for these big arcs being tied together i can't think of i can't think of other things on such a such a level really yeah that's the thing when i I can't think of a film a film series that's ever on such that the scale of the world building they did and the way they channeled them all to this climax is you have to whatever you think of superhero films like you have to respect the vision and execution of it and these these films these kind of culmination the the infinity war saga 
we're so it's it, like I said, like the, the chief word for me was satisfaction by the end. I was like, wow, that's, it was such like a feast of closure and satisfaction for everything you had invested in. Like the Russo brothers who directed these ones, I think are really good with, like, I think they originally came from like Arrested Development was some of their yeah. earliest directing, but which in many ways is kind of dealing with loads of multiple strands, multiple character arcs, yeah. jokes, references, like a reference 20 episodes previous comes up again. So I can see why being yeah. in a sitcom writer's room actually does help for that, you know, juggling so many characters and things. Yeah. So it's like, it's structurally just, it really brings a lot together. And um, yeah, and, it, and and they kind of do something a little bit different with the film. Like the first half is not quite go how you expect. And I won't give any spoilers away, but it's uh, it's kind of an unusual way they jump into it. It, it. But that's the one thing I think you will feel, wow, this takes its time. It takes its time because they're like, you're here, you want all this. So we're just going to take our time setting up the story. But um, yeah, no, um, I, uh, you know, I can't really say they didn't give the audience what they wanted. So it's, right. uh, it's, a, it's a great success on that level. And, uh, you know, that kind of epic finale, it's like you can have your problems and nitpicks and like, I would have liked this to happen. I would have liked it to be this way. But, but yeah, no, very, very solid. Um, very stuff. Well, yeah. I've yeah, not seen it, doubt I ever will, but uh, I'm, glad you're, <laughs> I'm glad you're satisfied. I think, yeah, the reception that I've seen seems to be that people were happy with how things panned out. So, yeah. Um, now, if uh, if they, if Disney can pull off the third Star Wars and bring everyone back on board with this one, um, you know, and what a year it's been. Had quite a year. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, um, on the on the topic of it being quite a year, Steve, uh, I'm going to move things over to an area that I am slightly more clued up on, and uh, I think 2019 shaping up to be a rather smashing year for music. Really? Well, yeah. this is good because I know very little about brand new music i'm always the person who's about three years late to a great album so uh you uh get me up to speed mate how do you uh... I, thought, I thought last year was a bit of a, a bit not a dud but um not as not as enjoyable as it could have been i can't think of you know superstar albums from last year that i, I was enamored by it and i would say my bias tends towards like for new music would be like in indie or pop rather than other genres, but um, particularly from this summer and really last week through for the next sort of six, seven, eight weeks, there's just, some, I think, some incredible music coming out from some like, really big acts. Um, and I'm, I'm just going to rattle through them if that's all right with you. I don't know which ones are uh, ticking your boxes, but um, last week an album by a guy called Kevin Morby called Oh, oh My God. He's a like singer-songwriter, guitarist kind of guy, but his music is, to me, a cross between a bit like T-Rex, kind of glammy rock when he's, you know, like the higher tempo stuff and the, the lower key stuff is more like a cross between the recently maligned Ryan Adams or even like the gospel period Bob Dylan. And this Oh My God album is about kind of growing up in a religious world as a secular person. I think he grew up in Texas where there's a lot of exposure to different denominations and stuff, but talking about how that impacted his life. He writes really great songs, great hooks, and he ties this big theme throughout, I don't know, it's not a super long album, 45, 50 minutes or so. Um, I thought it was excellent. It's so far one of my contenders for album of the year. I would recommend him to a lot of people. And his previous album was also very strong. I think that was from 2017. That was called City Music. Um, but yeah, he's definitely worth checking out. And then, so we're talking today on the 3rd of May, and two, well, to me, two huge albums came out today, the biggest one being the new Vampire Weekend album. Just saw that. Well, yeah, I'm very eager to crack on with it. By yeah, uh, six yeah. years in the making. Um, the last one came out in 2013, so uh, like more than double the time they've spent. I think they did had a two or maybe three-year gap between each of their previous albums, so this one's a, a big kind of... Yeah, big gestation period and quite a few changes have happened. Like one of the main guys in the band, Ross Dam, who did a lot of the production and the keyboards and the, the more like technical side of stuff has left. He's still involved in this new album, but he's not kind of a fully fledged band member anymore. But I've, I've listened to it maybe three times through now. I think it's absolutely excellent. Oh, um, really? That's yeah, great. News. Really, really, that. really delivered. Um, I think the, the, the first three albums kind of, 
come together as a bit of a trilogy, really. I think it's sort of an arc from the first to the third and the kind of aging through your early early 20s to late 20s. And this one's just a, it's a bit looser, a bit baggier and a bit longer, but, um, but in a really good way. To me, it doesn't feel like wasted time. And people have talked a lot in the reviews about it being a lot longer, but or being a double album even but the running length again isn't massive it's 58 minutes something like that and you could have a 10 song album that's 58 minutes and people wouldn't talk about it being over long it's just that there's i think 18 tracks where they probably average three minutes so um it does like to look at the track list it feels like a big undertaking but they're all very breezy very accessible songs that cover loads of different genres. He's a super talented lyricist. I think he writes really amazing little hooks and um, deep for pop music, you know, quite deep stuff that warrants multiple listens and very danceable, very, yeah, bit of everything. I thought, I thought it was really well done and I will be listening to it lots more. And I think there's a lot, a lot to gain from it. There's a lot of guests on it as well, which it, which is a nice kind of, flavor for the one of the girls from Haim or Haim I don't know how to say the band name but they do a few sort of country duets she's got a great voice and her boyfriend is the producer as well so they're kind of keeping it in the family but um yeah excellent it's worth worth the build up the other um, bigger the um sorry. the album the album's called Father of the Bride right yeah that's right yeah um I read a I read a positive review in Variety that said um it was almost like Ezra Koenig, who's the main uh, singer-songwriter, had like they said this in a good way, but it's almost like he pulled all of his like recent ideas from his moleskin notebook and like th- you know put them together because they said it's less of a kind of like you said a bit more feels a bit more loose and le- like baggy than the other and the, the other albums in that it feels like there's many different ideas being mm-hmm. put in the pot, but. Um, does it what, I, what I'm interested in is does it does it like how how different is it from the work before because I guess people would describe Vampire Weekend as quite like they've been called like they've been called things like the preppiest or the whitest band ever and these kind of weird terms people use but I guess they're kind of like they're kind of like what are they they're kind of indie alternative but that what what would you what would you sort of describe they their are that, they are that really but they're uh, sort of, I would say masters of multiple genres because they, yeah, they they do a real variety, but it flows like a, an album. It doesn't. You don't go, oh, that was the country song. This is the rock song. Right. You would know instantly that you're listening to Vampire Weekend. There's still that kind of Paul Simony, slightly jangly take on things with a darker synth undertone and those like wry and slightly knowing lyrics. That that hasn't changed, but there's just a bit more. Um, I don't know, it's a bit more summary, which to me sounds a bit of a silly way to describe them because they're quite a summary band, but it it really is an album to just sort of put on and be out in the sunshine and sort of enjoy. Um, There's something nostalgic about their music, and I I don't think it's just because they came out at a certain time in my life, but there's something that almost instantly feels, like Arcade Fire, sort of instantly feels nostalgic in the sound. Right. I think for Vampire Weekend, I guess they're, they're referencing a lot of things that you would grow up with, right? Like Paul Simon or, uh, yeah, other kind of poppy sounds from maybe the early, eight, late 80s. And that's what this one really does. They're also, there's a bit more of like a Grateful Dead vibe to them, like jangly guitars and a little bit looser and meandering. But it all works really well. Um, if you like Vampire Weekend, you're certainly going to like this album. I'd be surprised if any sort of current fan was put off by it. I don't know what would do that really. So yeah, re- really enjoyed it so far and would recommend it to, to anyone. Um, the other big album from today is a band I only got into very recently, but a, a band called Big Thief. They're a, a folk sort of folk rock band um, with a, a female lead singer and then just a really nice sort of instrumental backing group and um, she just writes fantastic lyrics and their al- previous album was called um, Capacity and definitely one of the best albums of the year that came out I think 2017 um, I've not heard the new album yet but it's been sort of really well reviewed so if you're into kind of folk rock or bands like Fleet Foxes or any, any other sort of singer-songwriter stuff definitely definitely worth checking out um so they're the ones that are out currently and i can keep on trucking with more to come if you're if you're interested 
give us a yeah, give us a couple more and tell us how do you. I, I'm very curious uh, how because I never know how to find new music and I don't know how to find. I feel like I only hear about what's good when it comes up in some best of 2019 list, and I'm like, where was I when that came out? How would I even know that album? Like, I know if a movie drops in the cinema because it's in the cinema and I suddenly see, like, Avengers is out now. But, like, albums I don't... Is that how you find out films are coming out, though? Is the trailers at other films you go to? I... Well, I watch trailers online and stuff, but, like, if I'm on Twitter, it's like, the trailer dropped for the new Star Wars. Or Okay, Star Wars is huge, but it might be, like, the trailer dropped for... Um, Paul Thomas Anderson's new film and then I'll look at and then it's like oh it's out in June and then it's it's kind of like you know it's there because it's in the cinema but with music I'm like how do I even know that band's yeah I guess I read I read quite a lot of music magazines or I don't know Pitchfork Enemy which is a bit naff both they've all got a bit of a sort of editorial stance which I can often find a bit trying but they are good for just keeping you up to date with yeah the new Vampire Weekend album's just been announced and you know, they, they do a job of just telling you sort of press release stuff, which if you're interested is probably the best way to find it. I think yeah, it's I just don't like really I use Spotify. I think YouTube's quite good for showing you what new is new stuff is coming because it will always be in the recommended like videos. If you listen to the new Vampire Weekend single, it will push a similar single that's just come out for you. So that's how I find a lot of stuff really is just doing, doing a bit of reading. And I, I guess a lot of the stuff I listen to is I know I like Vampire Weekend, so I keep my eye out, you know? Yeah. Cause I, I just have to see it on Twitter. Like I was just on Twitter today and then someone put, Oh, Vampire Weekend album, but there's no, I just, it's the thing we talked about with music culture uh, on an earlier episode, but there's no movie culture still has a little bit more of a centralized. It has a big event movies and it has a kind of centralized thing in that, these things are in the cinema, so if you go there, that's what's on. But yeah. I feel like music doesn't, unless it's Beyonce or something, it doesn't have this, you know, unless you're in the world or into that that part of the, that subculture of indie music, it's not, there's not a thing where people are telling you it's... Agree, for sure. I think I'd, I maybe use Instagram to follow a couple of the people I like. So like Ezra from Vampire Weekend's got quite a good sort of Instagram feed. He obviously was you know, posting or tweeting or whatever about what they're up to. So that's an easy way to keep involved. Um, how would you find how would you find a brand new artist that you've never heard of? What would what would make you where would you go, oh, would you look for a list of people saying this is what's good right now? Probably reviews from the, the couple of magazines that I sort of value that I think for a sort of overall history of music and like if you want to find out some good bands from the seventies, web I think allmusic.com is really good. They're kind of an overall like archive of what's been um i think metacritic is also a very good one because they just curate all the different reviews from different sites both from or both from users and professional reviewers and that tends to be quite a good good guide i think by an average that you get a good idea if something's good and if you want a new thing do you just do you just sort of regularly scroll around pitchfork i know i'm getting in the weeds here but i'm just genuinely yeah no that that is what i do i probably spend more time on that than I should, but they do like a lot of best new music, best new single, best new track stuff. And I'll, I'll, I'll always check the previous year's best of lists, pick out a few artists that sound kind of interesting and keep an eye out for them, I guess. Right. How interested you want to be, I guess. I don't use, I don't use Spotify at all. So I don't really get the, the playlist recommendation stuff. And I don't, right. I don't really know how that works. I don't know how good that is for, for finding a good interesting song versus finding an artist that you're actually going to cultivate an interest in and run with and i think they're probably two different things and i'm more interested in the latter for those who don't know george is actually quite a um uh what would you say a stickler for still buying physical music yeah i mean i do like i download the mp3s like the vampire weekend one i guess because i'm not at home I'm Denmark, so it would be silly to buy the physical disc and then just have to bring it back. But what's wrong more, with what's wrong with Spotify? I don't think there's anything wrong with it per se. It's more for me personally. I've I've been buying a lot of music for a long time, so like I have a I've got I don't know twenty five thousand songs of my own on iTunes. I don't really need Spotify, and it's quite like curated to my taste. So. Um, yeah, that, that does the job for me. I, I sort of don't like the idea that it won't happen, but Spotify could go 
bankrupt tomorrow and then suddenly you just don't have any music anymore i don't like the right. idea of that yeah. um and, and i yeah i don't like um maybe being recommended to by algorithm i am to a degree of course and i'm at the mercy of journalists but i think spotify sort of the the style of music music is changing and pop music is changing to fit the algorithm the big chorus will come really early in the song and all that sort of stuff. I also just don't think Spotify don't pay the artist very well at all. So, um, yeah, a lot of bands can't really afford to exist by just being on Spotify. Buying CDs or buying the albums from bands, say on Bandcamp, is probably the best way to get money to act, particularly guys on smaller labels where it does make a big difference for them. Um so yeah, I don't know. Just for me personally, if you didn't have a big collection of music, Spotify is great, I guess. But if you've already, I've been building up a big collection of music since I was about fourteen, so there's just not really much need for me to to have it like that, I guess. Yeah. Um, um, other, yeah. Sorry, other bands. Well, other things that are coming up that are, I guess, kind of slightly similar similar vibe. The National have a new album coming out in about a fortnight's time. Mm-hmm. Um, they're a band that I really, really, really like, particularly their early a couple of albums, Boxer and Alligator, maybe High Violet as well. Everything's pretty consistently strong from them. Um, but their new album is the first one to any great degree to feature other artists. And I think they're doing loads of duets with female singers and his voice will really suit that. I think that'll be interesting. And they have made an album film to go go alongside the album release which stars Alicia Vikander um, and it's like a, a 40 minute piece so it, I thought it was pretty impressive then to get like a big name Oscar winning actress to kind of yeah support support what they're doing in that way so that's quite a coup for still fairly indie rock music but um, they're a great band never um, sure never sure how I feel about any kind of film being released with an album no me either to be honest I'm but I'm to have that yeah, I'm always like visual album when they say it. I think like, well, it's a music video. I get I, it. Agree completely. I'm just never going to watch it. Not bothered. Might watch it <laughs> once, but more just for for a band that have been kind of plugging away for a very long time and are not quite world stars. You know, to have then a, a big prominent name actress involved with them, I thought was quite a coup for the yeah. level sort of indie rock they still inhabit but um yeah other other big things coming out soon there's a there's an indie guy called matt demarco he's he's canadian like jangly pop guitarist sort of songwriter guy he's really good fun he's got a new album coming out very soon that i'm looking forward to and then two really interesting ones are um, the black keys have a new album coming out as do the raconteurs which is jack white's other 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 band as well as the White Stripes and the Dead Weather. And they've not done anything for about 10 years. Um, And I loved their first two albums, so really excited for that. That's kind of on the blues rock spectrum. Uh, From the the hip-hop world, Steve, a guy I really like and I'm looking forward to his new album is someone called Danny Brown. He's doing probably the most interesting stuff in hip-hop at the moment, him and Vince Staples, for me. And Danny Brown is really kind of out there with, (laughs) like, He's got a very kind of garbled voice and he does some really, he sort of talks about off-the-wall characters and he's quite kind of a crazy character, but yeah, really interesting hip-hop music, very danceable stuff. He talks about really dark issues. Um, Yeah, it's a good meld of kind of fun and insane. And he... uh, his last album had a video directed by Seth Rogen, actually, that was really funny. One of the funniest videos I've seen for a long time. And Seth Rogen directed one of the videos for one of the new Vampire Weekend singles. So he's he's getting his fingers in a lot of cool music pies at the moment, old Seth. And good luck mm. to him. Um, no, I've made a fool of myself, Steve. Not Seth. Jonah Hill. Two interchangeable oh. people in my mind, but... Um, Still, they're the guys doing the other schlubby comedy. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Um, and then I guess Tame Impala, big album that I'm looking forward to. Doesn't have a release date yet, but coming out later this year. And then on the pop end of the spectrum, first up, Carly Rae Jepsen or Jepsen. I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Her new you're, album. You are a big Jepsen fan, we should say. <sighs> oh, the, her last album, Emotion, was glorious. Just absolutely glorious pop music. And I defy it was so different. It, it really was. Super well produced, kind of 80s callback stuff. But um, yeah, really good fun. And the big one, to go all the way back to where you mentioned these kind of event, big event central releases for music versus film, would be the new Taylor Swift 
number that's due. Um, she just released that new single in the most kind of conventional way possible, I suppose. Like, did a big performance of it at the Billboard Awards. Did a big performance of it, I think, at the NFL draft pick, you know, on primetime TV with right. 40 million people watching or whatever. It's not really the way that music is released anymore. So she, her and Beyonce maybe are the only couple of people left in that world that can do that sort of thing um, yeah. and kind of rely on the corporate world to help them release. But then Beyonce doesn't really do that anymore either, right? She just releases an album, tells everyone it's out and everyone loves it. She doesn't. Yeah, have yeah. It's, the, it's like the difference between what Brett Easton Ellis calls empire and post-empire. And it's like, it says like people of the empire like are still very much ensconced in the corporate, you know, it's, it's um, you know, the very corporate style. Like the, 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 the empire figure he always cites is Madonna, where it's like, mm. you know, very manufactured, very corporate, very a certain way. And I guess Taylor Swift edges on that where she is very... Yeah, yeah, I guess I guess it's like post-Empire thing would be the sort of person who just, their album's on Spotify tomorrow or they suddenly throw a mixtape up out of nowhere, like someone like Kanye West throws a mixtape that's a whole album and, you know, it's much more like instant and... I think maybe for Taylor Swift because I would suppose the majority of her audience are quite young and maybe are relying on their parents to go and buy the record for them or that kind of thing. I mean, it, it treads that line between young people probably know how to um, acquire music better than their parents, but maybe are at the mercy of their parents to pay for it. So she needs the parents to know about the, about the new album just as much as the kids, potentially. That might be why she straddles both. But Yeah, um, and the question everyone wants to know, George, um, given your enjoyment of both, Swift or Jepsen? <laughs> who's, who's on your desert island this the music not not the women themselves oh, I've never met either of them Steve um, I would say the that Carly Rae Jepsen album is Jepsen album is the best of all the albums that any of them have put out as a whole sort of contained beast um, Taylor Swift probably writes better pop songs and she's writing them herself I think Carly Rae's involved in the process but also brings in loads of really interesting producers right. that's maybe why I've liked her stuff um, because you get quite a lot of different voices and ideas but T, T Swift obviously doing doing the heavy lifting herself and you have to respect that yeah yeah um, no no T Swift can make some belters I think I think I, mean, I think Blank Space is my favourite Taylor Swift song I think mine's style and blank space is probably second. So yeah, perfect. It's an extremely well-made pop song. Fabulous. Um, stuff, yeah. Um, yeah um, okay. There's a lot so, of you to be getting your teeth into, Steve. Yeah, well, that's good. That's my music education. I'm actually impressed that I I know 80% of the names. <laughs> um, maybe 70%. Um, yeah, very nice. It feels like a lot of big, big uh, bands and people are like... The, the new album cycle has begun almost. Yeah, they all, a lot of these guys have very different time cycles and they just seem to have all come together this year, right? So, what yeah. a feast for the years in 2019. Yeah, now if, if Kanye could just shove a new one in there, you know, we'll be having quite a I wouldn't, I wouldn't get too carried. He did one last year, didn't he? And it just wasn't very good, let's be honest. You've gone off Kanye a bit. Um, his work's gone off the boil, Steve. That's the thing. Uh, yeah, maybe, maybe a little. He's not. I I would stick my neck out there and say he's not making as good music as say Danny Brown or Vince Staples. Um, yeah. well, I'll have to listen to those two to decide. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. Um, all right. So we've done music. Um, what else has been going on? Uh, well, George, you because uh, this is going to sound quite vain to bring this up, but you. Well, should I bring it up so that you, it doesn't sound like you're bringing it up? Go on then, because this was your idea to throw this in the mix. Your ugly duckling transformation into a beautiful, beautiful swan. Right. I don't remember discussing <laughs> ugly duckling. Um, I slightly, slightly disagree with that sentiment. But, you know, for contrast purposes, yeah, sure, let's say that. Um, yeah, I, um, my trainer put up some before and after pics on his Instagram. Uh, my great trainer, James St. Pierre of Unique Results Gym, um, giving them a little plug there. Yeah, he put on a before and after picture because uh, we've literally now, people, fans of the podcast will follow that I uh, 
have been doing some weight loss over the last few months. And it, it never started as a determined, you know, this is some six-month weight loss regime that's happening. But it it became turning for I turned 30, got very determined to get in the shape I want to be in now. And it it sort of kept going. It started as a couple of months and then kept going. And it's become this sort of six-month, you know, weight loss. But these pictures went up with sort of like internet breaking levels of body transformation, wasn't it? it was yeah, good point. Nearly 100 likes. I mean, that's <laughs> not bad. <laughs> not bad. Um, yeah, I haven't quite posted them on my Instagram because I am concerned that it's just a before and after pic I'm concerned with posting on my Instagram if that says something. I don't know what it is. I have some psychological block. Maybe it's just that being having my Instagram with a topless picture of me, something about it makes it make me a bit uncomfortable. Um, which clearly is not the Instagram spirit because there's two <laughs> no. people all day there. Um, but uh, I'll decide on that. But yeah, um, uh, we put before and after pics, and it turned out in six months I've lost about three stone. Uh, for American listeners, uh, that is about. Uh, 18-ish kilograms, uh, about 40-something pounds, um, like 43-ish or something like that. So, um, yeah, quite a lot and, and like 10, over about 12% body fat down. And uh, You yeah, really, to look at you before you started the process, you wouldn't think that you had three stone to lose. Yeah, a few. A lot of people have said that, and people at the gym said that when, like, James was saying, "Oh my God, Steve's results are amazing." And some people were like, "Oh, I didn't." When you came in six months ago, I didn't feel like you. You looked like you had three stone extra, but it's like I think I think I carried my extra weight well. Mm-hmm. Basically, I think I was able to dress in ways that complemented it. And I'm a big guy anyway. I'm I'm kind of a big lad with like some muscles, so I think it can kind of you can carry it kind of well if you're like that. Whereas maybe if you're like five foot five and, you know, George is not five foot five. Um, Yeah. If you're very short and carrying a lot of weight or whatever, maybe it's much more noticeable. But um, yeah, I think, so I think I carried it well, but I just had a lot of like, yeah, just a lot of extra I was carrying that was clearly unnecessary. Um, And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been interesting because again, it wasn't like a determined plan, but as you kind of get results on something, in some ways I got addicted to getting the next result. And uh, I think this is an interesting thing for our listeners because it's taught me about the power of focus, I guess, doing this. And it, it became something that I decided consciously once I started doing well and I was like, well, maybe, you know, I just lost like five pounds. Like, what if I just keep, you know, what if I just keep going and just keep the ball rolling on this instead of just being happy with that? And, and just, So I, yeah. I find that really interesting, right? Because we've talked about before that you and I did a marathon together and that's almost the opposite process. You have a very set goal. It might be well beyond your current abilities, but you think I'm just going to incrementally improve my skill until I can finish that task. Whereas what you're doing with the weight loss is almost the opposite of that. It's just, oh, I've got the taste for it and I'll keep going. There's no way I could do that with running. It had to be having a goal in the distance and then just keep going until you achieve it. How, how have you found one more beneficial than the other or which is preferable and which is most applicable to other things? Yeah. So what I found with, you are right. The marathon has a very, the marathon has a very nice clean image where it is the success will look like, I I am capable of running 26 point whatever miles it is. And so you just have to kind of work. You basically have to work as much as you need just to do that, right? If you want to complete a marathon. Uh, obviously, if you want to get an amazing time or whatever, you might have to do a lot more. But, you know, so it's it's very simple in that way, the marathon. And hard because you want to make sure you're like... You're, but your accountability is, I don't want to make a fool of myself. I don't want to do all this stuff. Go to the... Go to, bloody Copenhagen to do the marathon and then fail. So you kind of have this inbuilt stakes and pressure. And in some ways, what I think helped here was because I think with things like weight loss or or just body changes, it can be so, um, it can be so hard to know what your actual result is. You're trying to go to, you might just know, I feel like I don't like the way I look in the mirror right now. Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, but you might lose, like I say, you might lose like five pounds and feel like, wow, I look so much better than I did, 
you know, uh, six weeks ago. So great. And that, and then you kind of just, I think that's what a lot of people do, right? You lose a certain amount and you just think like, I look so much better. And then you just go back to what you were doing before and stop, you know, stop training and stuff. And I think, I think what I, what I had here was I did learn like the clearest benefit for me is just the benefit of having a coach, having a well, Is this the end of a coaching cycle then? Did you say you were going to do six months with him and see what happens? Or how did you even, when you started no. with him, what was the plan? We started and what I, what I started with was, it was, a, it was like late October. I had come back from our retreat that I work on with my brother. Um, I had just had a relationship end, uh, which obviously came back and thought well hit the biscuit jar yeah there's something where you feel i'm i'm a little overweight at the moment i need to i need something to fill my time i need like you know just you want something positive to get back into and and uh you know and i turned 30 so it's kind of this few things going on and and it was just it really started with just i'm gonna do this till christmas because it was about late october early november and i thought that's a great period by like if i do um if I do like two months hard at this, I could probably do some real good work by Christmas, like eight weeks. And, and so that was kind of vaguely what I was doing. And, and so I started booking like three sessions a week with this trainer. And I just thought I'm going to, you know, I, it's going to cost me money and whatever, but I really want to invest in this. And so, you know, it was deciding to do that. And then I think around Christmas, it just got, I was just starting to get very good results. And at the very beginning I didn't, at the very first few couple of weeks. And then we kind of talked about changing my diet a bit and stuff. When and you first started, had you not done anything to the diet then? It was just... The- I had not done much. I just not changed it enough. It's like you underestimate how much you need to actually reconsider your diet and you can be very lazy thinking, I'm doing exercise, so the eating's fine. But, you know, actually I need... Which to- I think... Again, when we did the marathon, that's kind of, it's a bit fair game because you need so much energy to do those long runs, right? It's a completely different mindset where you think, oh, I, I can not eat terribly, but you can consume loads of calories and it's almost part of the process. Yeah, yeah. And I found that a bit more when I was rowing at Oxford. We did so many sessions that I could eat more and because I was just burning all the time. But if you're just living normal life, like... And, and, and I don't, I'm not going to get into the specifics of my diet because I think there's nothing more boring than hearing people talk about what they eat and stuff. And it's not, but I didn't do anything extremely complicated to what I eat, really. I was just, it was more, I, I did a very old fashioned thing of like calorie reduction, basically, and realizing that I was just taking in too much general food. I, I didn't have dreadful habits, but I just had overeating in the night, in the evenings, and, you know, things like that. And I knew, it's very easy for me to cut alcohol and stuff because I'm not a big drinker anyway and I could lose that. And so, so there were just things like that, you know, getting rid of soda, Coke, those things. Um, and, uh, and the black coffees famously, I had black coffee instead of lattes. Um, but, uh, yeah, so it, it just, it kind of became getting the coach was the biggest thing. I think getting a trainer and I, I know it's like a luxury thing to get a trainer, but it was, is also like decision about what to spend your money on. And, and that was what, three I, times a week? Yeah, yeah. And I just decided like, you know what, I want to spend my own money on doing this. I want to, the accountability of having him like measure me every two weeks or something. As soon as you know, there's another like weigh-in coming up. It's too, there's something about psychologically, I'm parting with money and if I'm going to then get on the scale in two weeks and look the same, it's like, what the hell what am I doing? Money, yeah. What is the point of this? So, well, everyone loves sort of stats about themselves, I think. It's like game, gamification of your own sort of development, right? Being accountable to him and being measured and all that stuff. Yeah, and then it's like, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to blow him away. And the next one, I'm going to like lose another couple of kilograms and sort of like those, that, that. And then, and then that basically I have this retreat coming up that I do with my brother, uh, our company, we do these big retreats with topless, two- topless retreat, right? <laughs> I, I will be on a beach for some of it. So <laughs> there's that pressure of 200 women there, but, um, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, so it was a case of thinking, and then it just became, that was the goal. It's like, that's been the thing hovering has been like the retreats coming end of May. So let's make it like a six month project to that. And, uh, it's not that the retreat means anything special. It's just, sometimes it's just arbitrary. It's just having us, a point where you can look forward to because i think if it's if it's just indefinite 
forever. I'm much more a person who is motivated by short-term goals mm. than long-term. And I think once you get too long-term, it becomes so vague and, and distant that like anything a year from now looks like another lifetime to you. Whereas something that's like a few, two to three months away actually comes fairly quickly. And you can, I prefer to like set in, in two months, like if I'm writing, I'm like, if I'm like in two months, I want to have written this many short stories or I want to write a short story every two weeks. That's something I can every time measure. But if I just say I've got to write 40 short stories this year, it's just too vague. And the end of the year seems too far away and I don't really connect to it. So I think each time it's just having this next milestone and it's like, well, it's where I can get to for then. So yeah, it's well, are uh, you drawing a line under what you've done now, or are you going to continue? Like, could, could you indefinitely keep paying for a trainer, for example, or have you had the payoff now and you've you've sort of done I, it? It's kind of a strange thing because I've kind of got to I've got to a weight I'm happy with, and I've got to a level. You've probably exceeded your expectations, haven't you? I have, yeah, and and it's like I could level up a cut like a couple of levels more, and like get to really sort of like. You know, men's, men's health cover model. Sort of <laughs> you know, if you get if you can get to those really low percent body fats, but then there's like there's always a tweaking of me as to like what what I'm sacrificing. If it if it's not a big sacrifice and I just keep going as I am, that's fine. I can manage it. But but there's also a level of intensity I was at for some of this where I realize it's not totally sustainable. It's not it, because it, it means you end up having to sacrifice even just other things like you get, you know, if you're living in like calorie deficit and you're training all the time, you're needing to sleep more because you kind of get more, less energy. You're a bit tired and you're like training hard. You're always having to recover. And so I think, I think they'll probably, there's probably going to be a kind of more tapering where I will keep up some the, probably the personal training. I'm going away to New York for a month, uh, going away to the States for a month. So that's going to be off for a bit, but I think there's like a natural tapering where I've kind of reached what I, I was trying to almost aggressively cut at one point, you know? And, uh, and I think that like, this is the thing I want to say about focus is I think there's different times in life where different things are worth your attention and priority. And I, I think we're taught about balance a lot and balance is great. But I also think balance is sometimes knowing when to tip the scales in favor of one thing for like six months of the year. And then the next six months might be more, you know, my career is much more important right now. And I want to spend a lot more disproportionate amount of time on that and less time, say, socializing. Like socializing is not as important. So I want to, I want to aggressively put 70% of my time into career. And I think sometimes it's like that. There's just cycles in your life where you get, you know, I had a nice moment of having being at home, having less socially going on than when I lived in London. And so I'm at home and it's like, why not just work on my body hard? Like that's a good thing to do. While how, um, how do you focus as someone who works at home and is often working near the kitchen, particularly your mother's kitchen that is stocked with such wonderful treats? How do you keep the focus of not just binge eating, which is my, my crippling vice, I have to say? Yeah, it's interesting. I've always had a, uh, uh, you know, I've always struggled to, you know, control amount that I eat. I think that's always been something that was hard for me since being a teenager. Um, probably not helped by a mother that did indulge me with the food I wanted a lot. But um, I've just been, it's hard. It's hard because I was trying to think about that. I was like, why am I better at it now? And I, it is some part of it is just, the accountability of my you trainer. the trainer yeah yeah and, and just him like there's something where you don't want to let someone down because i feel like he's invested in my success as well now and it, it does feel like we're a team kind of and um it's uh it's just knowing that like this equation won't work out if i go and eat a pizza tonight and i've got the weigh in in three days the maths just isn't going to work on this so it kind of it kind of makes me think three days ahead in terms of like oh, I feel good now. It's like, oh, this is really, when I've got to do like those 12 chin-ups, that's really not, it's not going to happen. And, so uh, I, I went through a kind of, <laughs> I've done a bit of yo-yoing with my weight, but I had a very sort of successful period of losing weight a few years ago. And my way of <laughs> making myself kind of financially accountable and just accountable to myself was 
in the most Bertie Worcestery way possible by having some suits made by a tailor friend and having them made like when I was at my best weight so I couldn't balloon up or I'd sort of ruin them, um, which worked for a really long time. And then I did kind of balloon up and I told him about this. And he was like, oh, well, we're tailors. We could just take them out. We could just make them bigger. And that's now, now I know that. Now it's like, oh, I've got no way of being accountable to myself. I'm just going to make these suits. Just They're going to they're gonna be huge. <laughs> yeah, it's... Um... I've definitely seen all kinds of tactics to try and keep yourself, like the whole buying a certain clothes thing. But once you go, it's it's hard motivation to be like, well, I've got a small T-shirt I want to get into. I think, um, yeah, I I think for me, coaching is huge because I just think it's hard to, you know, human behavior, self-motivation is limited and willpower is limited, but you, you need to create some kind of stakes you know, when I used to, you know, I said last year I wrote a lot of short stories and that was because me and my friend Mike would tr- would promise each other one every two weeks. And it's just, it, you start to feel, oh, it's unfair if he gives me one and I don't give him one of mine. This is not fair. It's like mm. you keep each other accountable. And uh, and, and then there's a, there's a kind of weirder answer, which is more, um, I don't know if it's a weirder answer, but more a psychological one where I've changed a bit my relationship with being hungry uh mentally and uh i've i've managed to psychologically not feel so much displeasure from being hungry now i I can you know i might just go and make myself a black coffee and that kind of takes away the appetite like that 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 kind of helps your appetite a bit or i have a cup of tea or i just like drink some water and kind of i i try and focus on other things i try and be like hunger right now subside i'm gonna like read 30 pages and kind of focus on a like just things like a movie or something else and it it just kind of helps me and 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 if i'm like if i'm struggling a lot it's like okay i have an i have a banana i have an orange or two and kind of just keep myself sated but like mine's definitely contextual like i think if i am working from my laptop and i'm sat next to the kitchen it's a lot harder to to like override with the willpower but if i go and work in the library a i've made the effort of getting out there you know i have to cycle there here so it's sort of some exercise to get there but then when i'm at the library i could sit and not eat for 12 hours it's not a problem but if i'm sat yeah, in the yeah. kitchen i can go about 20 minutes without going and getting a well, biscuit i have these like pattern breaks where i'll go for a walk and then the hunger's kind of subsides a bit i'm like you know what instead of eating i'm gonna walk walk to starbucks and go get a black coffee and kind of just have a stroll and it kind of does just take it away. So I've definitely like been gotten better at just enduring like that feeling like in the night, if I'm feeling hungry, I can more just like get myself in bed and kind of read and be fine. But yeah. So, so those are some of the hopefully slightly interesting answers to how I've done it, but it's, uh, it's different for everyone. And I think everyone has their own different issues. I, I think, I think what happens to me or what, what happens with the trainer as well is, sometimes if I'm on my own, I do get myself to the gym. As you know, when we live together, I'm not, I'm not bad at making myself go and work out, but, but then there comes a point where your own motivation slaps off a bit and you just kind of miss, you miss chunks of days at a time. And as you start doing that, you kind of keep, it's easier to just stay the same. I think without that motivation of just, you know, I'll kind of end up doing it, but staying exactly the same weight because I'll like get two days of motivation work out really hard and then have like three or four days off, not doing anything, a lot of sitting around, sitting at a computer. And so I do think the trainer just keeps me very consistent. Mm. And then like I do things like arrange a squash game with my cousin, have a run. It, it all kind of adds up. So it's a, uh, yeah, but it's been a, it's been a very fascinating, interesting ride. Doing it's definitely it. very impressive results for, not, Thank you. Yeah. So not having like a set target and then reaching the level you've reached is really impressive. Yeah, it's definitely like changed some of my relationship with food in general, which uh, which I think is a good thing. It's kind of, I, I started to associate psychologically feeling, I managed to make myself psychologically feeling very full has been become a little bit of an unpleasant experience, like overeating. I love, I love feeling full. Right, like overeating is kind of a uh, negative experience for me. Whereas I like, I still eat quite a lot of things I want. Like I'll have like, I have takeaways occasionally, have like chocolate occasionally, but it's just that feeling of overeating has become very unpleasant to me. And I feel like, like bad doing it. I feel mm. like, oh, this is... 
this sucks because I felt great when I was light and I felt like, you know, having a lot in my body is just not as comfortable now. So yeah. And that's from a kid who, you know, you grew up with me at school, George, I was a chubby boy and, uh, clearly loves, love someone who loves their food a lot and likes a lot of very, uh, couch potato activities i like <laughs> i like movies i like video games i like reading i like being on my computer so yeah, yeah if, if i can do it lots of people out there can for sure uh, on the topic of focus and i guess on that sort of something i've i'm dealing with is how do you how do you deal with like working from your laptop or being a kind of remote worker does it change for you how to be motivated at different times of the year or if you look out the window and it's super sunny and a lovely day, do you find that harder to go and get your work done or, and or if it's a day where it's absolutely heaving down with rain, do you think, Oh, I'm just not going to go to the library and do my work now. How do you like, deal with those like very easy, easy to overcome things that I often find can completely derail a day? Um, well, at the moment I work a lot from home. Um, so I'm less going out than usual to go and work in other places. I, in some ways I find a rainy day a bit easier because I feel like there's nothing good outside. And, right. uh, and, and whereas when it's sunny, it sometimes feels like it's a bit more criminal to be sitting and the sun streaming in. I kind of don't like that. I feel like I enjoy sometimes being more like this creature, like this mole like creature when it's all, when it's sort of rainy and whatever outside. And I'm like, I'm hunkered in doing my work, but when it's sunny, I feel this kind of strange guilt, like there's all this life outside and I'm like yeah. stuck here. But, um, well, that's yeah. what I'm finding because I'm in like a new city that's still sort of fun to explore and it's very sunny and lovely when the, when it's nice and you think, Oh, I need to sit and do this work. And yeah, it's, it's, a, I think it's a different beast to having to, having to go to an office or being required to be in a certain place because you think, well, I, I could just do my work later in the day and explore the day, but it, often it doesn't work like that. So, yeah, it, I, I guess it's just the novelty of a new place, but you can just power through, I suppose. Yeah, I, I have, um, you know, I, I do have a luxury whereby I, you know, I like working in the evenings and in some ways I'm more apt to take my breaks in the earlier part of the day and I treat more, I live a bit sometimes in reverse or I treat more like the mornings I have a lot to myself. And then I ben, tend Benjamin to Glutton. <laughs> and then I, I, I tend to crack on like in the afternoon and right through to the late evening, like much later than anyone else. Who, you, I, I guess that that's harder for people who obviously like, so, so someone who's mobile like us, I think some people that's hard if they've got like, say a partner that lives on more conventional hours and expects them to have the evening free with them. And you might have someone who's like, why you're working in the evening and we want to spend time together. I luxuriously have absolutely no relationship waiting for me, George. So, so that problem, no, no one cares what I'm doing. Yeah. Uh, that helps. But, um, I, uh, yeah, so I, I, I like do my workouts in the morning. Like I do my training session in the morning. I kind of tend to be a bit more like do some reading in the morning, things like that. And maybe even like if it's nice outside, I do tend to more do the strolling and go get a coffee then. And I tend to work a lot in the afternoons more when I feel like things are getting a bit le a bit slower and a bit darker. But um, but yeah, in, in general, I mean, everyone finds it hard to stay focused like it's always I don't think it's ever not a challenge no matter what level you're at I think it's I think the best thing you can do is very very ruthlessly prioritize and think about I think there's definitely a lot of people who spend time frittering and wasted on just just tasks that aren't moving the needle at all but a lot of busy work a lot of mm. nonsense a lot of pushing things around and sending emails that don't really have any impact and then it's yeah. like they're not doing the main thing that would actually drive their business or or you know the big assignment they're putting off but they're sending they're an academic but they're sending 100 emails and doing stuff and not just sitting and doing the paper or something so i do definitely think you can concentrate hours a bit more distilled and in some ways I have this thing sometimes where I, I know I'm going to procrastinate early on. So I, I sometimes leave things close to the deadline because I know that's, 
uh, my focus is just going to kick in and then I'll just work, I'll work for like six hours straight till the deadline because I almost just don't play those psychological games with myself where I have to make myself keep doing the work. I'm just like, I I read about this, the guy who writes XKCD and Randall Monroe said he got through all of his college engineering degree like this or physics degree where he would just leave assignments. He'd know it would take him about eight hours to do the assignment or whatever. And he'd leave it to the 10 or eight hours before and and power through. And and in some ways I am a bit like that where I need, I need the dragon breathing down my neck. Yeah. Cause I'm this, I wouldn't ever miss a deadline. So if you just, yeah, if you just give yourself no other time except what's needed, you will get the work done. Right. Yeah, and I, I, yeah, because I think you need, if you can't do that, you need to create artificial stakes. You, you know, that is what we said before about accountability. I think you just always need some, it's hard to just every day make yourself do something if you don't see the immediate benefit or threat to it. It's just hard to, you're just kind of constantly relying on willpower or, or you need like a system in place, I think, where you say, these are the two hours of extreme focus every day where I do that. And then every day it's like nine to 11. That's when I work on my, if you're, if you've got a business or a job and you want to work on a book, you know, a passion project, you, you better be scheduling that hard in because you're never going to do it otherwise. So you might say my nine to 11 every morning or evening, that's when I work on the book. And that's my only two hours of the day to do that because I'm too busy. And then, then you could do it. Well, you either need that or you need like a submission deadline where the deadline's going to be June 1st. I've got to turn in a story by then. I, I think those are the ways you either systematize it or have a deadline. I think that's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. But, for sure. um, yeah. Do you find yourself like day to day? Because I, I don't see you as a big procrastinator. That's not how I would characterize no, it. No, I'm not. It's more that the nature of my tasks change quite. So one day would be nonstop work. One day would be, you know, a lot less than that. So it's just not having, not having that structure to even build. Cause I could say, okay, well in these two hours I have to do lots, but a day could come where that there isn't really anything to do in those two hours. So does that, does that matter if you just say, well, some days I'm less busy and I'm going to have more free time and some days. No, it, it doesn't matter in that sense but I think it, it certainly helps to have structure and I feel like I'm probably in a position where currently it's it's hard to even build artificial structure because the nature of the work I'm doing isn't you know that clear cut at this moment so um it's it's, it's quite a nice luxury to have that variation and things but when it then okay it's just being probably being in a new place looking out the window and thinking I, I do a lot of um, I, I do some editing work that is always very busy around kind of November December time, and it is easy to just sit in. It's dark; you don't have to worry. And I've almost conditioned myself to be really good at doing the work when the days get dark and a bit dingy. But then when it's high summer, it, yeah, it's just a different period, and I'm sort of I see it as a different space. So it, it takes some different conditioning, I think. But yeah, I won't, I won't let myself miss a deadline. So worst case, I would do that approach of just let myself do the work in the hours I need at the final point available to me. Yeah. I, um, I do definitely find these like, so sometimes I do just decide very spontaneously, like, you know, Oh, I've got, you know, for, for net right now, right. Like I've got a June that's going to be comparatively less busy. Like I have, we have our company has a product launch coming up this month. That's going to be quite big. And, um, you know, it's been very focused on that. But I know my June is going to be a bit different where I'm going to have a bit more of a clean slate. So I'm like, so at the moment I'm going to New York in June and I've decided, no, I'm going to carve that as my time just to be in New York and I'm going to really focus on writing. Like someone like, you know, I'm just going to make it a month very much about producing a lot. And so I sometimes, like I said before about mini goals, it, I just get into my head of like June and, June and whatever, uh, June and July are going to be, writing month so i'm going to decide now to produce this many words or this many and it just becomes the theme of that period and it's like that's what i'm focusing on and maybe like august is more leisure or whatever is is like that's going to be more my friends and i've got trips planned and stuff so i i tend to do i do tend to cycle through priorities at different periods of the year um, nice. yeah yeah so i think uh i think balance doesn't have to be something 
maybe for your own sanity and stuff, you need a bit of like, even if you're being crazy with work, you still need a bit of that social time to just let the pressure out a bit. But, you know, I, I do think that life is about cycles sometimes. And sometimes like a whole year for someone is like, I've got a book deal this year and it's a crazy opportunity. So I'm going to spend my year doing the book or I've got some amazing, yeah, some amazing window to do something or my thesis is due. So this year is going to be about my thesis. And I think it's fine to just decide that that's the theme of that period of your life or year. Um, you just have to be careful because during the end of my thesis, I went slightly insane and uh, <laughs> <laughs> lost myself down a rabbit hole. But that was, uh, yeah, you just need a, just enough to like take the edge off. You need enough socializing, enough relationship, enough other things to kind of keep you sane. But, but uh, some of those intense focus periods are times where I've done the best things I've ever done. You know, I yeah. like finishing a book or, or my PhD and stuff. It's, it's things I look back on then and I'm like, I'm glad I focused then. I'm glad I focused yeah. on that. Um, yeah. For sure. Very good. Um, how's our was it? How's the clock ticking over? What have we, I think we need to draw a line under this, Steve. Yeah, we've been cracking on, haven't we? Um, okay, well, we've got lots more to talk about soon uh, coming up. Um, wow, how do we how do we play this out? Um, well, please, uh, if you if you enjoy all of these uh, disparate rambles, please uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, uh, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Uh, you subscribing. Uh, really does make a difference it's really uh you know it means you're getting every episode it means we the podcast has better support it means we're more popular it means we can make more and we can spread to more lovely people throughout the world um and uh yeah we're on all the platforms so subscribe join send us lovely things uh we appreciate a lot of your lovely comments so far and um George, I will uh, chat to you next week. Cheers. Yeah, it's been it's been a delight, this one. Um, thanks, everyone, for listening. And, yeah, we'll keep coming at you with more. Thanks very much. Cheers, sweet bear. Bye-bye.